Welcome to the Mount Hummer Podcast, episode 95. It's not just episode 95, though. It's also the end of year special. Uh, we are recording this uh, about a week or so in advance, uh, just before the future staff Christmas party. Um, so we're not going to cover any uh, breaking news or anything like that. It's all going to be about the year that was. Uh, and I've got a full deck of supporting ca- joint lead cast characters <laughs> with Thank me today. <laughs> I know, I know, sorry, correcting myself as I went along. Um, I'm Mo, and with me, on the red mic at present, putting the gloom in doom, it is the one and only online editor of Metal Hammer, Miss Alice Patillo. How are you? I'm okay, how are you? I'm good, thank you for asking. <laughs> um, currently kind of sharing the red mic and yellow mics, because one of our mics is broken, so we need a new one, <laughs> is... The goth queen herself, deputy editor of Metal Hammer, Miss Eleanor Goodman. How are you, Elle? Hi, Merle. I'm very excited about Christmas and very excited about all the gothic <laughs> joy it brings. It sure does. Uh, to my right, on the yellow mic, is the master of all things evil and vile. <laughs> and he likes some weird metal bands as well. That is actually my official title. <laughs> it's the reviews editor of Metal Hammer himself, Mrs. Jonathan Seltzer. How are you? Uh, very seasonal and the fact that I have a stinking cold that won't go away wonderful that's what we like to hear <laughs> please stay away from me this is a very enclosed environment uh, we're going to be running through all the greatest and best and coolest things that happened across 2019 um, how do you guys sum up 2019 for metal has it been a good year prolific year what do you kind of think it's been for the scene I always judge how good a year is by uh, when it comes to voting for our albums of the year like what, how big my shortlist is this wasn't one of the shortest shortlists. It wasn't one of the biggest. Um, I don't think it was the greatest year we've had for a long while, but I think there's been loads of... There's still been loads of good stuff. I, had a, I think I had a shortlist of about 25 to 30 records. But That's pretty solid. In previous years, it's been... Um, it's been... Like, I've had a shortlist of up to, up to 40. And it's one of those years where you wouldn't... Enti- you, wouldn't you couldn't put your money on what's going to be the album of the year. Yeah, I uh, mean, there was, um, obviously, we kind of talked about this last week, Helen and I, but um, in, in terms of kind of critics polls and stuff, you could probably have a fairly good idea of some of the albums that would end up in the upper half of kind of end of year list, because if nothing else, it's been a very big year for releases in terms mm. of big bands. We've had a Tool album after 13 years, a Ramstein album after 10 years, even the Slipknot albums come after five years. Um, you've had a big Corn album and... Uh, an Opeth album, uh, like we've got loads and loads and loads of stuff going on. Um, I think it's been a good year for a lot of underground bands, especially kind of veteran underground bands putting out some, you know, near career best material. Um, yeah, I think we should maybe jump straight into it by looking at the top 10 albums officially voted for by the uh, good contributors of Metal Hammer magazine. Um, you can pick up the latest issue now to read the full list of the 50 albums of the year. Uh, it's in our uh, big Rev tribute issue, loads of other stuff in there as well. Uh, but we're going to run the top, through the top 10 right now, starting at 10. Um, so at uh, 10, uh, we had Cult of Luna with A Dawn to Fear, which is not really an album we've talked about on here much. No. Is, that, is that one you've been uh, into, Seltz? Yes. Uh, well, I think... I think Carl Bluna, they're one of those bands that it's almost easy to kind of start taking for granted because they've been around for so long. Um, and also because they're so consistently good. Like, you know, they've kind of created their own world um, over the course of, like, you know, last 15, 20 years. There's loads of bands, and they totally influence the scene. Mm. Like, like, when people talk about, 
post metal, they basically generally mean talking talking about post cult of Luna um, or neurosis. But it's um, I think it's cult of Luna that most bands have kind of like taken off from. So it's easy to forget um, the individual albums in the in the face of all of that. Uh, and this one wasn't quite as conceptual as the other ones they've mm. done. Uh, but then you go, you go back to, it and I was wondering where I was going to do, where I was going to place this, and I went back and listened to it, and it's like, no, it's actually totally immersive, totally magical, totally heartfelt, and just, yeah, it just has its own kind of environment. All, they all their song albums always feel like a bit of a pilgrimage, and this was totally upheld, you know, how good they, you know, upheld their legacy. Mm. I thought. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, very fairly fairly put, and it, and you know it broke in just at ten, which is to me I think they're one of those bands where if they're not on your radar, um, uh, you know you're probably not likely to necessarily get into them on this album specifically. I mean, would you call it like a good gateway album for people that maybe haven't got into Cult of Luna before? I think so. I mean, like like I said, I think all the albums are fairly consistent. There's not um, they they've all got their own tone, but um. I think every every album is like an aspect of their work, different kind of facet and aspect of the world. I think any album really, uh, the Beyond's a good one as well. Uh, but like I said, this one wasn't quite so conceptual. Mm. Uh, but it, it doesn't feel like it's missing a dimension. Yeah, uh, it felt it felt really heartfelt. Cool. Well, that was that was our number ten. At number nine, uh, we had I think in my opinion one of the greatest bands in the world today, Baroness with Golden Grey. Um, El, what did you think of this album when it first came out? We we thought it was a double album, but it technically wasn't, was it? No, we thought it was a double album because we got the track listing through and there were so many tracks on it. And the kind of two-colour coding thing as well. Yeah, but no, it was a single album. And um, I think it was difficult to know, really, whether it was going to be a continuation of the last one or whether they were kind of going to go heavier or whether they were going to go with the sound. Um it's just a really solid Baroness album, I would say. Yeah. Just. Uh, it takes a while to click in, doesn't it? Because it is really long and expansive where, where Purple had some real like immediacy to it and kind of, I felt like really got those emotional gut punches in right from the start. Um, it takes a while for Golden Grey to really kind of seep under your skin and, and drag you under it. And, and, and it take, the, it's, quite, it's paced quite interestingly as well because kind of the heavier, catchier, more obvious stuff um, it's quite far into the record. It takes quite a while for it all to kind of pop up and really grab you. I have always sort of seen them as a band that you have to get into. And I never listen to a Baroness album and go, now this is my favourite thing and it's really catchy and I love it. Oh, that's interesting. It just so that's exactly what I did with Purple. I was like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, this is fucking amazing. Well, this is one like of my albums of the year. Well, me, I guess, where you're like, yeah, that... Florian and Wine as well on that album. Yeah, I, get, I guess I see your point. But I think just generally, they're a band for me that I like to watch because you can sort of see the warmth mm. and talent in the way that they perform and I think I only really started to attach to them after I saw them perform so and I do find their production a bit weird like the way they do that it's sort of the kind of more old school production and I struggle with that sometimes like mm. it's a bit of a hurdle for me I'm used to probably hearing more clear modern day production which isn't necessarily a good thing or a bad thing it's just a different thing they're very distinctive in what they do it was it was very com I, I mean i noticed a few people talking about the production and how kind of compressed it was in it and i think with baroness i do sometimes wonder if they could benefit more from production that would let their music breathe a bit 
because it can be so layered and kind of emotionally dense sometimes. I do wonder if squeezing it through that uh, kind of weird, like almost like dirty little mix kind of does them a lot of favours. But Yeah, I'd like to hear it mixed a different way to see, because I think I just instinctively respond a bit negatively to it. Mm. But actually, I th- and maybe that's one of the reasons why I like seeing them live more or like it clicks with me more live because it's sort of there. Mm. Don't know. I think that's I think I think your opinion, people's opinions of uh, Baroness, also depends to some extent on where they started with them. Like obviously, I started yeah. with Red Album, and like Ray's on Pinion is so catchy. Mm. And you know, I found I found uh, Blue Record a bit hard to get into. There was a bit more proggy. Took me a lo- little bit longer to find my way into it. And then you know the next the next uh, album, Yellow and Green, was so sprawling after that and it had mm. so many new kind of flavors to it mm. like that one that was the double album so i found i had to like conquer it like side by side i was like okay i've got the this next songs not sure about the next batch and then i got into the next batch and then it's like i just felt like i had to like inch my way into that that one mm. uh but i just think there's such a warmth and a heartfelt emotion on the re- on the record yeah, these days warmth so. is the probably the first word i'll use when it comes to baroness like this this kind of like life affirming, um, like heart pulling, like emotional uh, bands, and I think I think you know they always had that in them. But I think after what they went through before the Purple album with the bus crash, um, I just feel like they're one of those bands I'm always rooting for, like mm. always wanting to do well. Um, I think they should be far bigger than they are. Um, me personally, I put them absolutely top of that list of kind of riffy, kind of slightly from the sludge scene, but quite not quite bands like Mastodon and Kylesa and all those bands. I think they are far and away the best of the lot. Um, I, mean, I mean, that warmth definitely comes across live. I like the way that, yeah, that they, um, they use the lights to colour yeah, the yeah, stage, yeah. depending on which album they're doing. Yeah, I think it's a really class touch. Um, yeah. And yeah I, th- yeah, I think it's a great album. And if I want to just kind of like, you know, if I'm on my way to work and I just want to smash through an album that's going to just kind of rile me up and get me going. Golden Grey probably isn't the first one I'd go for, but if I've got like a lazy Sunday afternoon and I can just lie down and just let it wash over me, it's definitely the record I'd go for. Um, in at number eight in the official Metal Hammer list is Chelsea Wolf with Birth of Violence. Um, one of my favourite albums of the year. Oh, please go on. <laughs> yeah, just um, it wasn't what people were expecting after... Um, after Abyss and His Spun. Mm. It was a much more stripped down record. Uh, but what that got across was actually what an incredible songwriter she is. Mm. Like, you know, all the good all the good artists, you know, their songs are scalable. You know, they can work in a big environment. If, you know, if they um, they can work, played an acoustic guitar. And it brought, there's this thing, there's a quality that she's got that I think is really magical. Like she's always like in this in-between space. Like she's haunting somewhere neither here nor there, but just this is kind of like slightly somnambulant sleepwalking, like some voice in between the walls kind of feel to it. Mm. And um, and I, and that just seems to, she just seems to have this perception that's on a different spectrum from pretty much everyone else. And it's kind of ghostly, but it's, um, but the songs were just so beautiful and, and they had this kind of slightly on the road feeling as well too, and I just, I just, it's, I think it's pretty, pretty much my chel- my favorite Chelsea Wolf album. I thought oh, Abbott, awesome. I thought Abbess was the one for me, 
And this one is just, I keep going back to it again and again. And there's just a quality about the voice that's so simple, but it's hard, but hard to put into words. Mm. She's I becoming love a this record. Sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah, no, I just love it. Um, I spoke to her for our sister magazine, Prog, and she was talking about how the album is the result of a long period of questioning and introspection for her and self-examination and how, because she'd been on the road for so many years, like for a decade, she'd just been working on her career. She'd never really stopped to take stock of things. And she went back to her house and she really looked inside herself and she started to think as well about what it was like to be a woman and acknowledge the feminine side of herself in a way that maybe she hadn't before, either because it's not always the done thing in heavy music, um, and also, I guess, just the stage of life she was at in her mid-30s, kind of looking around her and what she was doing. And as part of that self-examination, she turned to witchcraft as well and started looking at that. And she'd always We've all been done interested it. in that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so she got into tarot reading a bit more and various things. And I found it really fascinating to speak to her, probably because I'm at a similar stage in my life, except without the witchcraft, as a woman in her mid-30s. What kind of goth are you? (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? As a woman in her mid-30s who's kind of, um, you know, thinking about my own life and where I've been and what I'm I'm doing. And it's rare that there are always artists like that in heavy music. We have a lot of artists who are very self-reflective, but maybe not of the demographic that Chelsea Wolfe fits. So personally, I found that quite interesting. Mm. And also, like Jonathan said, just the quality of her voice and the quality of the songs, she it's very genuine and authentic. And she's also kind of a big fan of things like old books and old language. So the phrases she's chosen to use are things that actually seem sometimes archaic and sometimes timeless in their quality. So almost like she's calling back to things from the past, but she's bringing them into the future and putting them in such a way that they can continue to be relevant beyond the present day and i think that's a really powerful quality it makes the music feel a bit more authentic and a bit more weighty yeah i think there's so i'm sure it's like with with certain other artists we'll probably talk about later on there's so many layers of meanings in the lyrics and yeah music but i think what she nails is something this kind of paradoxical thing that she absolutely nails uh which is that it's kind of totally raw honesty Mm -hmm. but it feels like it's in the process of transition at the same time yeah and Getting those two together is such a magical uh, feeling. Yeah, she doesn't always like, say that she has all the answers. Mm. She's sort of writing things about the processes that she's going through and sort of reaching for conclusions. But it doesn't feel it doesn't feel unfinished. It just feels more kind of open and questioning. Yeah. I guess. I mean, uh, honesty isn't like a you hit on one point. I honesty, wish it was, Jonathan. I know, <laughs> but it's but it's a dialogue within the self. It is, and that's what you know, and, and that, it, that's what the, this I think. It's great to like. take some time and actually sit down with that and be like, "Who am I? What am I doing? Where am I drawing from? What are the influences of the past?" that I can take from. Because I think with the witchcraft thing, it was almost calling back to a different generation of women and looking back to what they'd done and accessing their power in inverted commas. Because, you know, it all depends kind of what you think mm. that is. But, um, yeah, I don't know how you feel about that, Alice, because you're into sort of witchy stuff. love my witchy stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I really love Chelsea Wolfe. I, it took me a while to get into her. Um, I was introduced to her quite a few years ago by a friend of mine who said that I'd like her because he was reminded of her with me. Does that make sense? I said that really awkwardly. You reminded him of her. Yes. 
she um, reminded him of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah ba- yeah basically um and i had Your black soul hair sisters at- that's what he's getting yeah at. yeah and like i got like the aesthetic and i had black hair at the time and um like i got what he meant but i didn't really like the music like this was quite a few years ago so i can't even think what album he played me but um i think this is my f- the one that came out this year what's it called i can't remember now uh birth, birth of violence. violence birth of violence that's it um i think that's my favorite one um, so far of his um, I liked her last album I got into that a little bit um, but yeah this one's definitely my favorite there's something about it that's like slightly more accessible I suppose maybe to people who like metal I I don't know it's as you said it's stripped back more so yeah it's gone back to a more kind of slightly more acoustic roots yeah which I think is quite um, I don't know it's just it just feels more accessible mm. than the sort of more like uh, electric uh, like i don't know this sort of what would you say yeah i don't know i mean i she she came she came she seemed to come up and like get critical mass around the time of abyss Mm. and she's one of those artists that the minute she comes on the stage the whole audience just falls silence Mm. like when when she when she played roadbone for the first time a couple of years ago of maybe three years ago like the awe for her in the room there was just this kind of like like the amount of what she means to people, like the level of how much she means to people, you could just feel it. There's a there's a certain expectation that uh, mm. you get with only certain bands when you know it's going to take you somewhere outside of yourself, mm. and it's electric. You get that with Swans gigs, you get that um, maybe with Highland gigs, uh, and it's just you could really feel the energy in the room. But just before she came on, mm. she's become a real linchpin of our scene, and I think it's great that our scene has embraced her because I think you know. Heaviness isn't always about um, a down-tuned guitar. It, it can be. It can represent itself in a lot of ways, and I think music mm-hmm. like Chelsea Wolfe really mm-hmm. shows that. Um, and at number seven, I was so pleased. This is one of the ones I was really pleased to see make it into the top ten. Young British band, one of the most exciting young British bands in the scene today. Uh, employed to serve eternal forward motion. Um, I thought this album was absolutely great. It made it into my top twenty. Um, I think they've always been a band that kind of, I guess you'd say they come from the metallic hardcore scene. They've got a very established sound now. Um, but I think, uh, I mean, uh, I don't know, was it, do, do you know who wrote the blurb in the, the employed to serve blurb in the? Uh, not offhand. Was it Steve Hill? It chance? could well have been. I'm not sure. I don't want to lay credit where it's not due, but um, yeah, they kind of talk about how fans of Converge and Pantera could both like this band and this album. And I think that's exactly spot on. Like wh- it, basically if you like heavy uh, confrontational, brutal music. Um, Internal Forward Motion is an album that you need to get inside your head. I thought the title track was just uh, like the closest thing to kind of almost like an anthem that they've done. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something that where the the, the actual Eternal Forward Motion refrain could just be screamed in front of 10,000 people as easily, as easily as it could a few hundred. Um, but yeah, I thought this was just a fantastic example of a young band um, just getting better and better and better with each album and and I'm genuinely excited to see what they could do next because I think they have all the tools to step up into something really significant for the UK scene. Agreed? Yes. Mm -hmm. Good. (laughs) I would agree. They've got so much energy as well which is really cool. Like we were just talking about Chelsea Wolfe. It's a different kind of energy to Chelsea Wolfe. This is more of sort of like a burst of energy and it's that sort of young kind of shaking things up type of energy it's mm. cool yeah they, and i love just the way they 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 kind of have 
um, not got a godly gimmick, but I like the way they kind of get the matching jackets now. And I just think everything about them on this album cycle has seemed like a big step up. Um, and that's awesome. So long may it continue. Richly deserving of their place in the Mount Hammer Top 10. Um, I was really pleased to see this in here as well, but um, it made it into my list too at number six. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard an album, thought it was amazing, and then left unsure if I ever want to listen to it again because <laughs> it's just so emotionally exactly harrowing. what happens to um, me. Lingua Ignota with Caligua, um, one of the most fascinating artists in the metal scene right now. Um, and yeah, this album is a difficult listen to say the least. That's exactly what happened to me. I'd heard about her. I knew I had to listen to her and I just put it on and I think I was just making dinner in the kitchen at the time and I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> this is happening. Um, and just it's so heavy, so emotionally heavy and it feels like you should, it's almost like a car crash type thing where you feel like you shouldn't be looking at it. Um, well, maybe that's a really bad comparison actually because I think you should be looking at it, but you sort of don't want to be looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's scrap, uncomfortable. Scrap that. Yeah, scrap my comparison though. I think what she's doing is really brave. She's going out there and she's making music uh, about her experiences with domestic abuse, and she's also a fantastic musician. She has these amazing operatic vocals, and it's just this whole raw, stripped bare thing of this is how it is, and it's going to be shoved in your face and in your ears now. And it's this just, yeah, that there's beauty in it, but it's also very, very, very ugly. I think there's even more to it than that. It's not just a like reactive um, album of just like, of just in the sense that it's not just like, um, in the sense that what it, what it, what it does as well too is it tries to find a kind of a bigger structure for what she's been through and try and articulate mm -hmm. the structure. Like I said, there's like, like with, um, Chelsea Wolf, there's so many different layers of meanings and then the way that she uses, um, like, you know, historical references oh, and, totally, yeah. and, and the way she uses forms of music like power electronics that have mm -hmm. often been used to express certain misogynistic, um, you know, whether, whether you see those, the, you know the original uh, practitioners has been ironical, trying to say something different. But there's always been a certain level of mis misogyny in in power electronics, or just a certain like general level of misanthropy, and trying to use all of these things to try and find um, a language of your own to mm. describe something. You know, it's kind of in in some ways indescribable. Well, that's what the album's called, isn't it? As well, lingua ignota. I think it means unknown language or something mm. like that. Yeah. Is that, that the case? Yeah, Something and like just especially, so I saw her live a couple of times at Roadburn, and I saw her live at Oslo in Hackney this year. And especially the Roadburn shows, there's something so Hadian about it. Uh, what she was doing, she was playing in the round, so she played on the floor, and people were in a circle around her. She was like swinging these lamps around her that, that kind of lit her really starkly. But on the backdrop, on the first show she played at Roadburn and the second in the green room, there, were, there was all these footage of the wildfires, driving through the wildfires in California. And it was basically a descent into hell. And, um, and yeah, th there's a sense of like, there's a voice of purgatory coming out of it as well too. Mm -hmm. 
and again, it's it's that poetry is like this in between state where where things aren't resolved, and that's what that's kind of the resonance that her voice has as well, and I saw people at the front just looking up at, looking up at her, just hyperventilating, wow. and it is traumatizing, but it's something absolutely immersive and there is some part of it in all our mental spectrums where on this dial that 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 kind of totally resonates with it's maybe a far end of that dial yeah i find it really really tough to go there if i'm honest i think all the points you've said are amazing and you should be a music journalist or something (laughs) but (laughs) i just find it really like i think you are a lot more comfortable going there than i am because it's an uncomfortable place to me to be and you kind of revel in that i think quite a lot in being in those weird spaces between things and Mm. kind of pushing yourself along that spectrum whereas i'm a bit more like Mm. uh don't know if i want to be near this but if you can if you can go near it and you can immerse yourself in it it can be super super Mm. powerful but also you know i've kind of i've kind of grown up with artists like such as jimana galas and lydia lunch um who can talk and sing lydia lunch sounds like a children's book yeah, she says there's not a confrontational name. Yeah, as, yeah, as far from a children's book as you possibly <laughs> could get. Uh, but 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 she, you know she she would do spoken word as well, and you know she was very upfront about talking about abuse, uh, family abuse, mm. uh, um, and so incredibly powerful. And there's some Lydia Lunch spoken words and some Jemana Galas songs that li- I'm not generally scared by records. There's a few in my life. But some of the some of the Lydia Lunch spoken word stuff when I first heard it, totally gave me the heebie-jeebies. Just it, like it, like a kind of primordial chill. Like there, there's there's some place that you you've gone that's unbidden and you shouldn't go there. Yeah, totally. Um, but there's a there, but there's there's something really being alive in that moment of just you know, and especially as a man, not showing how far you can tread on that into there. But you you still resonate with it. So. She, she, Although she's doing very much her own thing, uh, and you know everything is so well thought out with what she does, but still kind of very primal. You know, I've come up through Lydia Lunch and Dumani Galas and artists like that who um who have reached those kind of really forbidden zones. Mm. I think what you said actually then about not sure being sure how far you can go, especially as a man, into someone else's space. I think that's really interesting because I definitely feel like that as somebody who hasn't experienced domestic abuse. It's like how far can you go into that person's space? Like she's making this art and sharing it, but it feels uncomfortable to be in a place where she's doing that when it's not your experience as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's not, I don't think, I don't feel like it's voyeurism when you, when you go and see her. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the best artists, whatever their situations, uh, you find something universal in it, something that appeals, you know, something that hits on all of us and resonates. Totally, yeah. And I think she's probably one of those artists that's hitting these kind of archetypes so I think if you if it resonates in in your own ment- in your own sphere, whether you've been through those experiences or not, it shouldn't just be for those exper- for people who've experienced that. Sure. You know, there's a, there's there's whole levels of um, experience and emotion that goes into. I totally it. agree with you. I think it's just one of those things where you're thinking it, uh, you can fi- you can just have a reaction to it, can't you? Like an uncomfortable reaction about mm. being there. But I haven't seen a live yet, so I'm curious to see what that's like it's it's funny that Steve, uh, Stephen Hill who um said he he, he just he found it so hard to listen to and he doesn't know if anyone wants to go back there that was his that was his album of the year. I'm a writer Stephen Hill yeah it was his album of the year um 
so yeah, an incredible, incredible, um, but not always comfortable listen. Uh, absolutely delighted this made it into the top five of the Metal Hammer list. And I think um, what they've done this year is testament to that if you find some success in the metal scene, you don't have to then to, like make your music catchier or try and think what you're going to do to capture the bigger audiences and all that stuff. Because in at number five is Venom Prison with Samsara. Um, so, you know, they put out Animus a couple of years ago and there was obviously this was a very important record for them. Um, and they decided to go even fucking heavier and more savage than they were before. And I absolutely love them for it. I thought Samsara was an amazing album. It was, oh, I think at least in my top three of the year personally. Um, and I'm really glad it made it into the top five of this list because I just think they're a fantastic band. Um, they've obviously done uh, some things very outside their comfort zone this year, playing Glastonbury, for example, to um, a very non-partisan crowd. Um, uh, and yeah, I'm just delighted to see that it, it's coming off for them because I just think this record is savagely heavy. But also, um, you know, there's still some hooks in there. It's The production on it is just the right amount of kind of clearness where, uh, clarity, I should say, uh, where uh, uh, it kind of really brings the riffs out of themselves. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Larissa Stupa's performance on it is absolutely unbelievable as well. I just think they are... Uh, one of the most exciting things in extreme metal today. And I love this album very, very, very much. So there. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really good, <laughs> I think it's a really good record. Um, uh, but, you know, they're a death metal band. You don't expect death metal bands to be thinking, oh, should I go a bit more mainstream? But many do. Yeah. You know, yeah. many do. And especially when, the thing with Venom Prison that interests me is that I don't think they naturally fit in any scene at the moment because I don't feel mm. like they're openly embraced by more old school death metalers. You don't necessarily see them on those kind of traditional no. death metal bills, but they're also kind of not really part of the death core scene that it's almost like they kind of belong to that kind of the kind of hardcore scene that did, you know, give us people like employed to serve and, and various others. Yeah. They just feel of like a kind of, nondescript but really exciting wave of young British bands that have all kind of come up together. It's really interesting. Yeah, I think that may be to do with the, slightly to do with the lyrical concerns. You know, they're, yep. not, they're not talking about pits of hell or at least, you know, they're talking about sort of more sort of political concerns. But I guess it was it was the same with Job for a Cowboy. Um, you know, you listen to the records, as good a death metal band as you can get, like if you're an old school death metal fan. But, but there were just different clans. People would, you know, People would go or not go depending on whether they had long hair or short hair, mm. and it just felt like they had a different crowd from the old school death metal crowd because they had short hair. But if you just played them musically, you, they were they were as good as any. Death yeah, absolutely, metal band no arguments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what where they can go from here because I think they. Um, oh, well, I just think they're fucking great. <laughs> I just think they're a really, really great metal band. Um, and uh, yeah, Samsara, very deserving. Again, just great young British metal bands in the top five of the Metal Hammer list. That's what we like to see. Um, at number four, very different uh, end of the scene, although uh, no, certainly no less bonkers than some of the stuff we've had in this list already. Uh, Devin Townsend with Empath. Yay. Elle's looking excited by this. <laughs> um, yeah, this was kind of his kitchen was. sink album, wasn't it? Yeah, as in he threw everything into the album. Yes. So no, he washes it, he washes his plates in it. Probably does, yeah. <laughs> Can imagine that. Uh, yeah. So he 
dissolved the Devon Townsend project where he'd been making records for like seven years, seven records over seven years he'd made with them and came to the end of it and wanted to move on and try something different and couldn't do it unfortunately with that band so had to dissolve it and this was his first solo record after that happened and it just sounded like he decided to try every idea he's ever had all at once and when I first heard it I was like I don't know what to do with this I felt like it was just too much of a mess and just too many things going on at once and I was like what is it Mm. um but then over time it's funny how it works out because you start to become used to where things in songs or what's going to happen and it becomes kind of familiar and things kind of settle out the dust kind of settles or like it's like a big bag of things that you've like shaken up and then over time they sort of settled back down to the bottom and it sort of made sense I can't tell you when it made sense for me but at some point it just made sense and I think it's really cool that he took a leap of faith and did this because I think if you want to do something you should just 110% go and do it and he did it exactly what he wanted to do and I think you've got to respect that fuck yeah I'm not at that stage yet that you're at I feel like um I kind of love Devon Townsend there's a lot of motifs that I'm kind of getting a little bit sort of overplayed, like these sort of cosmic ha ah, ah, thing, you know. <laughs> I know uh, what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just sometimes I'm I'm getting a little bit too cosmic out of this kind of euph- cosmic euphoria that that yeah. he has, and I just feel like I've got to. Uh, the only way to to get my head around this record is to see it from space. <laughs> and I, I think that is it though. And I haven't and I haven't got that far yet. Uh, I find the best way records like that that you just like there's too much going on and yeah. you want to know how how to make it click put it on the background when you're doing I washing think that's up that's exactly it like don't like don't pay any attention to it just put it on the background and it'll come in through the back door of your brain but i think that's what happened go, to like, me because at I'm first here. i was like i just don't really like this i'm just disappointed because it sounds like a mess and then i think exactly what you said happened to me like it just went through the back door yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> now it's good yeah yeah just don't don't yeah don't let it don't use the active conscious part of your brain to make sense out of it oh it's such a classic Jonathan thing to say because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Devin <laughs> didn't either very fair what's that bit that I played to you Merlin when we first got it in the office I got a promo of it and I gave my headphones to you and it was that bit where I start it's like the book narrator bit I can't remember how it goes now it's not a very good story the bit where the, <laughs> <laughs> the, bit where the person is like narrating the story and I was like listen to this yeah, uh, yeah I remember when you first got it in and you were just like listen to this bit now listen to this bit and yeah None of the bits you were none of those bits you were showing me sounded like they belonged in the same thing, and I'm still not sure they do. But they made it work. Put it in the background. Let it go in the back door. That's the key. There you go. Uh, In at number, I mean, uh, let's be honest. The top three of this list is, you know, I don't want to say predictable, but when you've got three of the most important and biggest metal bands of all time all releasing fucking great albums in the same year, chances are a lot of people are going to vote for them. So in at number three, am I right in thinking was this on number two your album of the year, Al? This was my number two, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the number three album of the year in the Mount Hammer list, Slipknot with We Are Not Your Kind. Um, obviously, when it first came out, uh, it excited the shit out of all of us. We all kind of had a very strong reaction to it. Um, felt like, not to say that Slipknot had been off form, but it, I think a lot of people felt very quickly like it was the best thing they've done in at least a couple of albums. Um, I said at the time I think it was the best thing they've done since volume three and I would still 
stand by that, to be honest. Uh, every time I go back to this album, I still think the singles that came off it are some of the best they've done in years and years. Unsainted is fucking great. Nero Fort is great. Um, Solway Firth is my favourite song. Love it but like so literally much. one of my all-time favourite Slipknot songs. How I good is Solway Firth? It's one of those songs Absolute that riff storm. in my head all the time because it's great. It's just so, so good. And all the kind of weird things they did, like Spiders is really cool. Um, I can't remember which song is which now, just looking at it. Elias Funeral is really good as well. Um, it felt like uh, it it like critical um, darling it felt like a really yeah critical darling's right as well Birth the cruel. it felt like the whole thing's just structured really well and the, the the songs that were just like we're slipknot this is what we do they were great and the songs where they stretched outside their comfort zone really worked as well um and i think in the same way that post um hardwired to self-destruct it felt like there was a lot of goodwill back with metallica again i'm not saying slipknot didn't have goodwill with them but i think that like everyone's really excited about Slipknot at the moment in a way that I don't think people have been in quite a while. Um, and now obviously they're doing Knotfest as well in the UK, which is nice. So you ready I for Slipknot? I love this record. I think I um, tweeted about it when it came out and just basically did an enthusiasm dump. And then somebody <laughs> joined in. We've all taken an enthusiasm dump. <laughs> somebody joined in and went like, oh yeah, I agree. Like there's, it feels like every song on here could be my favorite song. And, um, I think that person, whoever it was, magical person, was absolutely right. Because the first time I listened to it, you'd already flagged up that I was going to love spiders. Yeah. So I was a bit like... It's spoopy. I was going to like it. I was a bit like, hmm, will I? Do you know me? <laughs> and then I heard it. I was like, oh my gosh, spiders is amazing. And then Nero Forte, as soon as I heard that with the vo high vocal, I was like, I love Nero Forte. Got obsessed with that. Unsainted, obviously, I'd already heard. And then as I listened to it more, I liked Critical Darling and Elias Funeral and... Uh, Birth of the Cruel and um, Solway Firth when it first came out I think we were just really busy on the mag and I sort of listened to it and went yeah that's cool and then when the album came out and I just started listening to it more I was like Solway Firth is literally one of the best things in the world Yeah, I just love Agreed. the record I think it's got I like the fact that they obviously like you said they've got the Slipknot songs but they've also done things a bit differently like high vocals on Nero Forte experimentation on Spiders and they are so good at writing heavy catchy varied interesting songs they are just the quintessential modern metal band you mm. can't fault them who would have thought we wouldn't miss cock nose after all <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think it's called dick nose oh, i'm so, sorry dick nose yeah dick nose or cock face either one um so number two in the metal hammer albums of the year list is l's number one uh, <laughs> it is ramstein by ramstein um now am i right in thinking you said you thought this is the best thing they've ever done yeah. Now, so that's high fucking praise for one of the greatest metal bands of all time. Um, do you still stand by that a few months later? Does it still sit with you as, you know, right up there in their back catalogue? Yeah, I think it's really hard because I'm not really naturally a lists person. And you're always like, pick things, make lists. And I'm like, why are you making me do this? Press your complex opinions into a like really strict, rigid format. Yeah, basically. And I think as a whole... As a whole Ramstein album, this is definitely my favourite one. So there's songs Excellent. on other records that I love more than songs on here. But as a kind of press play and listen beginning to end, th yeah, this is my favourite collection of Ramstein songs. It's awesome. fair to say. I mean, it, it is a fucking great album. I know I said at the time that it trails off nearer the end and maybe I, then maybe I was a bit harsh in saying that. I do still think the front half of the album is the best half. But there's still loads of other great stuff across the whole thing. Oh. And stuff like Pupa and um, 
like Auslander, which is a bit Auslander. controversial when it comes do, 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 like the you know in a similar way to the Simnel album, really. Like there's stuff on there that is just Ramstein at their best. You know what you want from Ramstein album, and they deliver it. And then there's stuff on there which feels a little bit different, and um, that's absolutely great as well. So again, the first time I heard wait. it, I wasn't massively blown away. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is Ramstein. And then the more I listened to it, the more obsessed I got with it. And I think the fact that um, we broke it down a bit as well, like um, we broke it down sort of lyrically what it meant online and looked into the songs a bit more and you sort of go through the layers and layers and layers. And it was the album where they went full Ramstein thematically. They really dug into their German heritage and their identity and what it means to be German in 2019. And Deutschland, I thought, was a really strong single to come out with that really set out their stall for that. Mm. And that epic kind of cinematic movie really showed uh, where they were coming from in their thinking. And you do kind of need to dig a bit deeper and actually find out what's going on because I didn't know a huge amount about German history apart from the obvious. And I thought they did it in a way that was very Ramstein, which was very big very bombastic very obvious but then you dig beneath the surface and there's more going on and there's humor as well like ramstein mm. always just have like this big heap of humor and it's playful and it's fun at the same time and Puppa was amazing like hearing till really go for it on that that is the moment in the middle of the record where you're like what is happening mm. like something bad is happening right now mm. and even stuff like Auslander, they sort of had form with Pussy on that kind of Euro disco type tongue in cheek thing. And then actually, you know, they had a song called Sex. It's like, why haven't they even done that before? You know, yeah. like that's so Ramstein. And again, with the Puppa thing, I think because that was kind of a rawer side of the band that we hadn't, we weren't quite so used to hearing. Again, it just shows you that metal bands should be taking risks and should be unafraid to go outside their comfort zone. And if a band at Ramstein's level can do it, then anyone should still do it. I mean, it was a good sign that they're not resting on their laurels and they're not just shitting out stuff because they have to do an album so they can justify another tour like again everyone was very excited about Ramstein this year and justifiably so I, I think. love the cover as well just to match on the front like yeah, it's, an, an unlit match it's great yeah an unlit match it's Clever. just really provocative but I'd like to hear briefly what Jonathan thinks because I don't think we've discussed this record did you like it I did I, I haven't played a huge played it a huge amount of times um Ramstein, I'm kind of weird sort of distant relationship with Ramstein because I grew up in industrial music, and but I grew up in like bands like Lieback, um, like the late '80s bands, and I always thought, well, I had Lieback, so I didn't really need Ramstein in the same way. It's I feel like it's just a generational thing. Yeah, maybe. So I love I love the um, I love the level of of thought they put into everything. I love. Um, you know all the references. I love all the, uh, you know, the, the outre humor about about them. I just don't, and I just don't have a kind of a really Do have an emotional attachment to them. attachment to them. And I think it, it's just because, uh, I mean, I was obsessed with Lieback. Mm. Lieback, one of the bands I just like. I had to get everything of theirs I had, and and again, that's a very um, that was a band that that. Uh, very sort of cleverly um, investigated their own um, Yugoslavian identity and, you know, confused a lot of people where they were coming from. And all the bands that, so Ramstein, uh, you know, ins inspired Ramstein, like them and Swans, and they've been very vocal about Swans being an influence. It's like, yeah, they're great. That's great. And I just, just, 
I like their records. I don't. Um, I just don't. I'm not invested in them in the same way that maybe you, you are. And I, I really appreciate them. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, our number one album of the year. We revealed it or kind of talked about it at least last week. Uh, Tool, Fear Inoculum. Uh, we did talk about it at length. Els talked about it a lot at length on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but just to say again, really like. Um, maybe no surprise at all coming out and making an album that um, their fans certainly uh, seem to uh, absolutely love. Um, uh, I mean, it seems mad, really, that we were saying, month, you know, seven months ago, um, you know, will tools still feel relevant? And will, you know, will they be able to adapt to streaming? Is there an audience out there for them that wasn't there before? I mean, I don't think and they just completely shut us all up. I don't think I was saying that. I think I was saying they're a massive band who sell out arenas when they haven't got a record out, so they'll be fine. Right, well, as an incisive journalist, <laughs> I was trying to suggest that maybe they might not. Um, yeah, I did think there might you know, not be. Our 20 year old's going to give a fuck about tools. Yeah, it's basically I did what think I was there might not at. be as interesting. That you- as much interest from the younger generation but i think because of the noise generated by the record and the huge fan base they still have the fact that those people make a noise it at least makes younger heavy music fans go okay mm. everybody's talking about it i guess i'll see what it's all about and when they put it all on streaming services then it's like that's an easy way to do yeah. that but i definitely never thought it would not have an impact because they're one of the biggest bands ever sure in our world and 13 years away is like a huge amount of time to build up excitement for it's that. one year short of uh if i've got it right it's one year short of how long we were waiting for chinese democracy i think which was like famously like maybe the most infamous wait for an album ever um, but it's been tools year you know they they put all their stuff on streaming and they basically broke the internet by doing it um, they've sold out tours. They they headline download, and you know, Tool fans were frothing at the mouth about that set. And then they put out an album that um, has been universally praised and, and adored. So no surprise th- really that Tool top our uh, arms of the year list. Yeah, I think there's a dialogue about it. Um, I I'm, I feel a, I I love Tool, but I feel very ambivalent about this particular record. Like it's the most the musicianship is so amazing, and it's like this kind of Olympian feat. That it's just it's just it's music played by gods above, but I just kind of wonder what does it all mean to mortals such as us? <laughs> uh, I just feel like it's being played at this level above um, above uh, your kind of emotional emotional inter- attachment to it. I don't I, really get that actually. That's really interesting. You would say that. I I love I love Ten Thousand Days for that. For that. I, lo- I loved um, I, you know I felt really emotional attached to that. I felt like it moved me a huge amount. This one I'm kind of in awe of it. Right. I just, I just, you know, ironically for a back for a record that's lyrically seems to be about, um, you know, fi- feeling the sense of disconnection in the modern age. Mm. I don't really, I don't feel what this record actually means to me personally. I, I play, I keep going back to it, and thinking I'm going to get some emotional attachment to it, and it, I don't. I just, I'm just in awe of the level of musicianship and the precision. Well, you could say that some of the restraint shown in the record is actually reflecting the theme of disconnection in modern age. If you wanted to get be, really could be. analytical about it, I mean, it. you know, I'm, I'm I'm still trying to work out my reaction to it. And, you know, I love Meshuggah because they um there's nothing human about it, but I get a really mm. human reaction to it. Uh, I'm just waiting for that moment with the tall album. I think it's I think it's the greatest achievement of the year musically by a million miles. I think what they do, and especially, uh, you know, Danny Carey and his and his drumming and his tabla. It's it's just mind blowing. I didn't really feel that sense of them like being gods, and I think it's because there's so many familiar things in there from Tool. You know, it's not 
a million miles away from what you'd expect a Tool album to be after 13 years away and with them at this age in their career and stuff. I think it's almost quite predictable in that sense, well, but I don't mean yeah. that in I a, bad, mean. a bad sense. I mean, it's yeah. got the kind of rhythms you expect. It's got the sort of lyrics you expect. It's got the kind of vibe you expect. It's got the percussion. We know Danny's good. We know he uses tabla. It's almost like a bit of familiarity going into it. like, And then it kind of comes more and more over time, I think. Yeah, it's just... I, I, I get it. It's just because of, I, like, I like the emotional connection to it. That's why it feels a bit... I feel sure, like you it, feel it, distance it from it. And yeah. I definitely think it hasn't got the immediacy of like some of those older songs that just like his, you know, Maynard's vocals just kind of come straight at you mm. and you just connect with it straight away. And I definitely feel more emotionally distanced than I do the other records. Mm. But I feel like it's more of a kind of ease into it, sit back sort of record than yeah. the other ones, which are a bit more like throw yourself on. It was in my cool. personal top 20. Oh, fair enough. There you go. <laughs> that was a swerve at the end there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as a pure musicianship. Face turn at the last minute by Jonathan Thomas. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't super <laughs> high up, but it was. I mean, I am in all of the records. I think we should discuss this more later, Jonathan. Yeah. Ooh, it's gonna be ongoing. It did. It didn't. As someone that's not a diehard Tool fan, um, it didn't make my list because there was so much good stuff. But uh, I thought it was interesting to see the reactions. So there you go. That is the top ten list. Uh, Tool at number one. Ramstein at number two. Slipknot at number three. Devon Townsend at number four. Venom Prison at number five, Linga Ignota at number six, Employed to Seven at number seven, Chelsea Wolf at eight, Baroness at nine, and Cult of Luna at ten. If you want to read the stories behind all the rest of the top 50 albums of the year, uh, pick up the latest issue of Metal Hammer now. Uh, now, Elle's covered this because her number one album of the year is Ramstein. Yay! Hooray! Um, but for the rest of us, I don't believe our personal albums of the year were included in that top ten list. Uh, Alice, what was your album of the year and why? Uh, my album of the year was Dark Throne and Old Star. Oh, right. On brand as, as it gets. <laughs> well, so, I mean, it's not the most black metal album of the of my top 10, really. Okay. Black metal legends, yes, but it's quite an 80s, riffy, like heavy metal so with a, the vocals of Dark Throne. So it does make it kind of blackened heavy yeah. metal. So what, what, <laughs> what made this be out the more true cult black metal choices in your list because it's dark throne (laughs) (laughs) and i just love them and everything they do they can do no wrong um whether they want to go 80s if they want to go 70s if they want to go whatever i'm there for it yeah yeah they they just don't give a fuck do no they just really don't (laughs) give a fuck they just do whatever they do whatever the fuck they want and but whatever they do like they're such music geeks, but they they reduce it down to its most base. And it still, level yeah, and it still and sounds dark throne somehow. Like and um and their personality comes through because yeah. you know it's just a two piece. Yeah. And um, yeah, I really love this record too. And when you pl- when you play it again, it just it just uh, it so many catchy tracks as so well. So many catchy tracks, and um, you you can like it. You can like all. You can guess all the references. You just like it on mm-hmm. a pure visceral or pure fun level. Uh, yeah, uh, it sucks that um, we couldn't review it because they only... It was a surprise drop, wasn't it? It was a surprise drop. Yeah, yeah we knew it was coming, but, it was, but we weren't going to listen to it uh, I know, at the um, at the uh, behest of Fenris, uh, the drummer, who's like, you know, he's like the spokesman for the underground metal world. He really mm-hmm. is, yeah. Yeah. If it's okay with Fenris, it's okay with us. But there is a review online that you can re- that you can read that's my review. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so if, you wanna, if for some reason you missed the Dark Throne album... And if you did, shame on you. You pose. I'm joking. If you did miss the Dark Throne album, then uh, go check out Alice's review online right now. And then go listen to it because they are extreme metal legends. 
Um, my album of the year, I have talked about on here quite a lot, so I won't talk about it too much again, but um, it's, it ended up being health for me with um, Slaves of Fear. Um, this was a band that I'd kind of seen mentioned online a few times, but never really listened to. I'd, I mean, I don't think I'd literally ever heard of them before this year and this album came out. Um, and it was actually L. What? You were expecting me to not give you credit then, weren't you? <laughs> I looked up at L and she, just about to go. And then L told me all about it. And she had her mouth open, outraged at me because she thought I was going to pretend that I knew about it before she told me, which I didn't. So L said, there's this album out. And L kind of described it. And, um, you know, L's more into the industrial, gothier side of the scene than I am. So when I heard her talk about it, I was a bit like, Nah, it doesn't really sound like something I'd be into, but I'll give it a go. And then I gave it a go and I've, it's just not left my, uh, it's just, I've not stopped playing it since, basically. Um, I think it's an absolutely phenomenal album. Um, if for some reason you haven't heard me gas on about it, uh, kind of think Nine Inch Nails meets, um, I, I suggested Lady Tron as another comparison, that kind of weird ethereal electronic music. Um mixed with like little bursts of Ramstein heaviness in there as well. Um, kind of weird, kind of metallic androgynous vocals. Um, for the first like probably three months I was listening to it, I, I thought it was a female singer. Um, and then I found that it's actually not. It's actually a guy called uh, Jacob Dusnik. Um, and yeah, he's got these really cool androgynous, weird, uh, eerie vocals that kind of seep through it all. Um, it's kind of dirty. It's seething. It's acerbic. It's like... Um, and I think what I love about this album as well is that it's just paced so well and it's structured so well. And I think that's something a lot of people take for granted with music being consumed as it is nowadays. Um, it, it like it kind of really just seethes and bubbles under throughout the album. And then kind of almost three quarters of the way through the title track drops. And that's when it really goes heavy and the drums kick in and the riffs properly kick in. Um, and it just is such a kind of a release of tension um, after like, you know, 35 odd minutes of this kind of weird, eerie journey beforehand. Um, and I just, I absolutely love it. I saw them live at, at um, oh, what's Bring Me the Horizons Festival? All Point Tees. thank you. Saw them live at All Point Tees and thought they were really cool. Um, and just everything about them is great. I know this is irrelevant to their music, but I even think the way they do their merch and the way they just present themselves is just fucking badass. Um, and I went back and checked out all their other stuff. Uh, and it's all really good as well. Death Magic is a great record. Um, but for me, Slaves of Fear far and away is the best thing they've done. And it's my favourite album of the year. So there. What was your album of the year, Jonathan? Uh, well, for the second time, second year in a row, it's an album that dropped at the last minute uh, that made it into my number Ooh, one. Oh, interesting. So last year it was Svati Dalvi, Revelations of the Red Flame. Uh, this year it was Maguire, uh, Age of Excuse. Um, it just... Just a sing. When I say it's a singular record, it's um, it's not it's not that much of a move on from their previous records, but the level of conviction with which, which with which this band play is such a, a singular experience, and um, I've always loved this band. I think they're one of the best live bands in the world, uh, in the, well, the underground metal scene. Uh, like when they played uh, Damnation this year, the, the room was more packed for than it was for anybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, there's obviously something that kind of connects. Um, beyond just being a black metal band. And yeah, there's been a rave of black metal bands uh, like them, Svati Dowdy, Miss Thurming, the last two from um, Iceland, that um, weren't sort of explicitly satanic or anything like that. But there's something really muscular about the way they play. And 
and just absolute level of conviction that becomes something more than the sum of its parts. Uh, there's a look with Maguire. There's a little bit of um, the way they do the riffs. There's something melodic and um, and repetitive that reminds me a little bit of um, Nachmistium. Mm. But but there's a, but there's another a, great band. Yeah, uh, but there's a level. But there's there's a kind of level of misanthropy in um, in Maguire albums that just feel like some you know like like a kind of it's like something coming out from on high like this huge big finger pointing at the world going it's too late you're all in ruins <laughs> um you've you've you fucked up and um and it's i just find it just so, there's something so commanding about the way they perform and the way they sing it and the way they play live um that um i didn't find anything to quite that level this year as much as that um, there were th other ones that were close. Shamash was my number two album of the year, and that also felt like um, almost like from like God's eye view of things, but also just throwing you into the maelstrom at the same time. Mm. Uh, but there was, was a touch up between those two records. But um, but yeah, just Maguire is just like I said, not a big step on from the last album, but still just totally in and of itself. Awesome, outstanding choices, everybody. Um, what was an album from this year that um, you felt like deserved maybe a little bit more attention? L. <laughs> Bet you can guess mine. The, an album that deserved more attention? Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, no, I can't. I wanted it in my top 20 and Jonathan said no. <laughs> oh. And it was, was Leprous and Pitfalls. It was what, sorry? Leprous. You couldn't put Leprous in your top 20? No, I, I, think, I think I said you, you could put Leprous. Oh, we did I have Leprous. it? There was one band. That there was one I wanted that you wouldn't let me have. I thought it was them. Was <coughs> no, it no, it wasn't one? that. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that wouldn't let me have. It was Health you wouldn't let me have in my top. Health was my number one, mate. Well, maybe so. I did have it in there. There yeah. was one band that you There was one. Pick. I can't remember who it was. Okay. Ooh, mysterious. <laughs> but yeah, Leprous. Leprous. Young Pitfalls. Prog Lads. Yes, Prog Lads. <laughs> Don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> but yeah, they're a band from, probably a lot of people listening to this know Leprous already, but they're from Norway. They were initially the backing band for Isan, as in ex-Emperor Isan. And they make progressive music that is sort of heavy in an emotionally progressive way. Ooh. Some of it, you could argue, falls into metal when it gets sort of more intense. But I guess it's kind of on the borderline between metal and prog. And they had a record out this year called Pitfalls. And it's just an amazing record. Uh, Ina Solberg, the singer, has this incredible voice, which, again, like other things I've mentioned today, it took a while to grow on me. At first, when I heard him, I wasn't too sure about it because it's very high-pitched. And I just didn't really connect with it. But after I did, I just thought he was incredible. His range is amazing. Uh, the notes he can reach and the emotion he can put into his voice. And it's very distinctive as well. And he's made this album this year with Leprous called Pitfalls. And it's based on his depression. He started writing it after he became depressed and sort of struggled through it. But it's not, um, you know, to say it's just that would be to do it a disservice, really. It's kind of about life and emotion and the musicianship on it is incredible. The drummer for Leprous is amazing. He's a guy called Bard 
And when Ina composed the record initially, he had a lot of electronic drums on it. Um, and he said that Bard was worried that he was going to be replaced, but they worked together to combine the electronic elements with some of Bard's drumming because he's so good. And it has these kind of huge songs with massive choruses. There's one in the middle called At the Bottom, which was my favourite initially listening to it because it's just this sort of... It's seven minutes, but it's very catchy and very intense and the way he uses his voice as an instrument is just amazing and then there's another song that after that one I just got really into which is Distant Bells which is kind of one of the more I think it's one of the more sort of hopeful upbeat songs it's not a complete misery record some of it's misery lepers have a lot of misery in them but there's also hope in it and actually kind of you you know you're not always going to be in this dark place and you're going to come out of it and it's you know human experience and the very last track, if you're really into prog, there's a track called The Sky is Red, which is their longest ever track. It's 11 minutes and it's sort of a little bit avant-garde and experimental. And he wasn't really sure about doing it. And it's got orchestral bits in it as well. It's got a choir in it. And it's like, they just went big. It's like he had this idea, wasn't sure whether to run with it and then just completely ran with it. And the whole record is just an experience. And I just think it's fantastic. Like if you've not heard Leprous Pitfalls, just put it on because you're in for a treat. Lovely. Jonathan, what was your choice for an album that people uh, should stop ignoring right now? Dead Feathers. Uh, or Literally not heard of that, so that's definitely yeah, yeah. a, a good a, choice. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's an album called All Is Lost. Um, they put out an EP last last year. And the way I felt about that EP and about this record is kind of similar to what I felt about when I first heard Royal Thunder. Wow, okay. Like, which is one of you my... You used to fucking love that band. I still do. One of my favourite all-time bands. But it just, again, it's like, like with that first Raw Thunder mini-album, and it's the same with the, with the first EP, it felt like it was kind of emerging, like creating itself in real time, uh, just emerging out of nothingness and building itself, creating, building itself up into something. And uh, so it's kind of, again, it's kind of bluesy, but, no, but like no blues you've ever heard. Uh, mm. A singer, she has an incredibly rich vibrato voice. Uh, but all, all the songs are kind of like, the rhythms are kind of very mantric and they build up and they build up and they build up. And everything's so sort of um, tentative and just so just totally draws you into this kind of um, rhythm that they create. And it's just one of the most beautiful things I've, I've heard for ages. It's probably one of the records I go back to the most this year. Awesome. And um, I wish they'd play live. I, they, should be, they should be playing Roadburn or Desert Fest. Um, it's, yeah, it's just, it just hit, hits a spot for me. Uh, just the, like the, uh, the mantric, the mantric nature of it. Uh, the way it just builds and builds and builds. And, and again, it feels like it's kind of recorded in limbo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just lo- I love that feeling of just this kind of constant motion in limbo, basically, with awesome. a with a really um, earthy but ethereal aspect to it at the same time. Savage, love it. Uh, Alice, what's your choice for an album we should all be listening to more? Um, this is really hard because there are so many. <laughs> I thought you might say that. Um, you can pick one. Well, I'll probably pick Devil Master then. Oh, go on. And Satan spits on children of light. Fuck. <laughs> Which is the best album title <laughs> ever, by the way. Um, oh, and, <laughs> and, 
And their name Satan even just sounds like an 80s like tabletop game, right? Like Devil Master. Yeah, and yeah. like, you know. <laughs> I think we did. I think we've done them in the magazine before, yeah. but a while ago, yeah. Well, they had that album out this year and they're, they're relatively new. They've only been going for a few years. This is their first like full length album. Um, and they sound kind of like a mixture of like 80s kind of electronic like horror I don't know soundtrack quite theatrical aren't they yeah really yeah. theatrical and yeah black metal quite punky little bit sort of yeah kind of thrashy punky black metal with 80s electronics going on occasionally. and unquestionably the best album title of yeah. 2019 so fair play to them um mine was uh, one i talked about briefly a few months ago um and it's quite simple really mine's judiciary surface noise um basically if uh if you're hankering for that new power trip album and there's kind of like a uh, a rattling thrashy by way of hardcore um gap in your life right now um, just pick up Surface Noise by Judiciary. Um, it's so great. It's so relentless. I think they're from Texas as well, actually. Fellow Texans as our power trip. Um, and yeah, just dirty, filthy, like produced in the nastiest um, way possible. Uh, kind of thrashy, thrashy hardcore or hardcore slash thrash. I don't know which way around you want to put it. Um, but yeah, they're just fucking great. Um, and I've been playing that album all through the year. So go and pick that up right now. Please. Uh, your favourite new band you've discovered this year, guys. Anyone want to go first? I'll go first. Go on, then. A band called ELR. So E hyphen L hyphen R. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tell us about them. They, um, I saw them. They, they're very much in a post Eamon Ra world. And can, I mean, they toured with Eamon Ra. Um, but they've definitely got something else of their own going on. And there's a. It, there's you can elements of like post black metal in there, but there's kind of very sort of again like haunting the periphery feeling to it, um, and it's everything I wanted post or you know the kind of like the shoegaze black metal to be, mm. but really wasn't, um, like so much more vivid than than I find most um most of the shoegazy or the black gaze metal, and it's not it's not it's not wistful it's kind of it's haunted, and. It was such an incredible experience seeing them live uh, over the weekend. They played at Nambuco, and uh, they look incredible Big as well. It's just a, a three-piece. Uh, two women actually look very similar. Both, um, both, um, uh, you know, with blonde hair, centre partings. Both wearing the same clothes, so it gave this kind of like slightly mirror feeling. And they both got these extremely ghostly vocals that just, again, they just kind of haunt the periphery, but it's got a real pull to it. And it's just, yeah, something kind of quite mystical about what they do. And um, it will do strange things to your brain patterns. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that album is called Maynard. And it came out a couple of months ago. Lovely. Yeah, so there's a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of kind of references. Uh, you'll have to explain what a Maynard is. Well, I only know from True Blood. It was oh, like a deep in that. It was like a demoness thing that sort of... Um, got people to do whatever it wanted and then they had a big bacchanalian party at the end of it with a sacrifice. I remember that season. Yeah. When, <laughs> when, 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 um, it was when that when that TV program started going a bit shit. No. Oh, everyone shit. 
come on. It never on. went shit until the very end, which I was come so on. disappointed. It never ever went shit. Ever, we don't have time ever. for this debate now, guys. <laughs> come on, move it along. The whole thing was great. When Eric stopped being a badass. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. Oh, Eric was great. Uh, well, Alice, you've got the mic. Who's your favourite new band of the year? <laughs> this is really, really hard because I don't know. I discovered this year probably... I've discovered quite a few bands. Um, the beginning of the year, I think I discovered this band. Well, it's like a one-man band. Sal, Saw, Sal. I can't. How do you say it? it the, how do you spell it? Well, there's the a band S A O R, but they're not one-man band. It is. It's one guy who the Scot- the Scottish it. band. Yeah. Uh, well, I've seen him live. There's more than he was. Uh, yeah, but he's the like. Okay, he's the main guy. It's yeah. his project. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. his project. Yeah. It's not one guy with one of those fucking. Like drums, yeah, like no. set up to him, I like don't on mean a pedal. It like that. Like I mean, like <laughs> it's him. He's yeah, yeah. the the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been around for a little while. But. Yeah, but I discovered them the beginning of the year, um, and they released Forgotten. He released Forgotten Paths. So yeah, I think haven't they just been signed to a, like a bigger label? I think they've um, signed to Season of Mist. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, um, as well. But um, so is this? I think that was black this year. metal. It's kind of like a folky um, mix. Like, um, it's got black metal elements in it. Yeah, it's the kind of like almost, I can't even think of words now. I guess I guess like maybe that there's a slight similarity to, is it like maybe Dawn Raid perhaps? In a sense? Yes, it's like that sort of, oh, um, it's quite uplifting, atmospheric though. as yeah, well. Yeah, it's quite uplifting in a very mm. sort of, um, yes. Scottish way, I guess you can. Yeah, yeah it's, it's got it's Scottish elements Scottish as well. Identity. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Go check that out. What's the album called? Forgotten Paths. Forgotten Paths. Or Pathways. By Saw. No, Forgotten Paths. Forgotten, forgotten album titles by Saw. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being so helpful today. <laughs> it's fine. It's the end of the year. We're all tired. L, what's your uh, favorite new band you got into this year? The Who. Oh, of course. I should have predicted that. Excellent choice. Mongolian Metal is the Who. Mongolian Sensations. Yeah. Uh, just interesting and fun. Um, obviously, we have had Mongolian Metal before. Sadly, we lost Nature this year from Tenga Cavalry. That was his project. He was, did Mongolian Metal. But the Who are doing something that's sort of more rocky. It's like a sort of rocky band with traditional instrumentation mongolian throat singing and they call it hunu rock and who is a mongolian root word for human and they had their first album out this year which is called the gerig and it just combines all those things together and it's just a great listen it's very accessible very catchy it's a lot of fun and it's just really cool how they're bringing in all these different elements and different instruments and i just thought it was good of course there was the viral video as well for i think it was uvuvu which is the viral one where they were standing on a mountain top and that took off on the internet it's actually crazy the numbers they're doing online in general though millions like unheard of for a band from outside the usual you know the usual places you expect big metal bands to come from yeah absolutely amazing i love i heard wolf totem first i heard it like in summer and someone was listening to it he was skateboarding in Hyde Park and stuff as well and I was like this is cool and tried to find more and they only had like two tracks out so it was really cool they released an album this year and I'm really excited to see what they do next skate punk band The Who <laughs> not quite <laughs> um, I was going to pick well I was thinking about picking Renounced from my uh, favourite new band because they are fucking great and they are producing the kind of metalcore that um, 
you know, people of uh, who love proper fucking heavy metalcore would like. Um, it's not the shiny stuff; it's the real deal. I talked about it a few months, a few weeks ago on the podcast. So if you haven't heard the Renounced album, definitely check that out as well. If you like stuff like Poison the Whale, Early Kill Switch, all that vibe. But I had to kind of go. I had to be a bit more honest with myself. And for me, the best thing I've heard this year. I know that they were around last year as well, but I didn't hear until this year. Um, Twin Temple is my favorite thing that's hit the metal scene this year i just love what they do i think the album's fucking fantastic i, I can't pretend to be a fan of do what generally but i do love amy winehouse's stuff as most basic people like me do <laughs> um no i think that's unfair back to black's a quickly acclaimed album isn't it i think you're pretty basic i am pretty basic but you know i'm basically I all... you can hear that because i didn't have a mic what i'm trying to basic. yeah 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 what i'm trying to say <laughs> uh is that i'm not a fan of the do what genre as such beyond the obvious touch points um but i thought um uh i think it was twin temple give you their signature sound satanic do what Be- yeah because their signature sound yeah um i thought it was absolutely fucking great i love what it represents it's all about empowerment um and it's about kind of satanism in uh the the themes of kind of self-choice and self-belief um and uh yeah i just think it's fucking fantastic i love the videos and the visuals that they do um i love the fact that they've legitimately pissed off the far right and the kind of christian right in the u.s they're just doing all the right things that that metal um should be doing and uh the fact that they're not even metal but they're one of the most metal things to happen in metal is metal ri- as fuck. yeah they're on rise above which kind of puts them into our world a lot as well yeah exactly I think that absolutely was. Yeah, they are legit the real deal when it comes to the, the satanic stuff. Yeah, um, I yeah. absolutely love them. I, I can't sp- wait to see them in January. Yeah, I spoke to them in, uh, and the whole, st- you know, back, the whole backstory is, you know, such a genuine backstory about, you know, as being part Korean, feeling, a, feeling in, in some ways an outsider, being made to feel an outsider and, um, and, being a, and using that and taking that as a positive mm. and finding that there's lots of things, you, you know, as an outsider status you can, you can play with. Uh, absolutely I, I love everything about them and i can't wait to see where they go someone book them on a uk tour with ghost please oh, I mean, it would amazing. be perfect um that's not my pick for non-metal album of the year um so i'll go into that in a bit but what, what's everyone else's non-metal album of the year what's, the, what's your favorite thing you've heard that would not dare tarnish the pages of metal hammer magazine mine is kate tempest Oh, I love that record. I, we've never spoken about this. I no, didn't I didn't know, know you liked it. Yeah, it's a great album. I talked yeah. to it about Bryony the other day. The Book of Traps and Lessons. Fucking awesome album. UK yeah. hip-hop, represent. <laughs> I knew you had it in you, well. That was patronising. Oh, come on. <laughs> I always slags off. Well, you slagged off my pick for this uh, for this category, actually. Did so I? We'll That's why I'm bitter get, about we'll it. See when we get to it. But actually, my friend Jared Woods, shout out Jared Woods, he's a writer, has a website, look him up. He turned me on to this because he went to see her and posted about it on Facebook and I'd never heard of her before. But she's an English spoken word performer and artist. And she writes about life in London and basically this whole sort of broken Britain thing. And all her songs are kind of about the daily grind and people's differences and politics and she also does write about relationships as well and what's going on there but on the book of traps and lessons it ends with this out this song called people's faces and um it's basically just yeah it's a long poem all about the divisions in our society and then with that it's tinged with hope because when she looks at people's faces she can see sort of peace in their faces and um, the hum- the common humanity between us. And I just thought it was a really 
nice song and I think she's got a really cool way of expressing things and because she is a poet like the songs yeah they're more like poems set to beats mm. than they are kind of full songs and um yeah that's fair she's got a cool turn of phrase and she the way she articulates the sense that is around at the moment you know the political and social anxieties she just does it in a really good way i can't believe we haven't talked about this album before it's i didn't like, know you liked it i love it i think it's great yeah i think i'm not really she was again one of those names i've heard around bandied around you know kind of uh like award shows and stuff like that. And I've never, never probably checked her out until this album. And I think it's fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, it might be a bit biased as well because I live in London. So it's sort of like, you kind of get the whole thing she's talking about. It's sort of city life and mm. that kind of thing. There's that sort of vibe going on as well. But yeah, I'd definitely give it a listen. Banging. It just says here as well. I don't know if this is true. I just Googled it. Produced by Rick Rubin. Oh, uh, cool. Is that a thing? Awesome, if true. Or is that just a random Massive, if glitch true. on the website? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try Googling that. I didn't know see. that. I didn't know that either. If she did, that's like, you know, another link to our world. Wow. Uh, Jonathan, what was your um, I think, well, favourite? On, on, on a pop level, or vaguely pop level, uh, uh, Way's Blood, I really liked. I don't know. Don't I know just who that discovered is. A, like normally everything the Guardian uh, recommends, I listen to it and it's absolute dog shit. And the same with most. Um, I just think everything is, they, they they kind of recommend is just so kind of bourgeois middle class and just meh. But then uh, this came up and just, there's, there's something about it. it mentioned reference to the Carpenters, and I thought, well, I really like the Carpenters. Um, oh, cool. So I'm going to check this out. It's really good. Uh, um, it's got. The, the, you know, with the Carpenters, the eeriness, you kind of, um, you imprint on that yourself from what you know about Karen Carpenter. Mm. This has got a certain element of that in it, this kind of like lost in time, kind of slightly 50s feel to it. Uh, I haven't played it that often because I, I literally only discovered it, but there's that. But the record that I've been listening to so much lately, that's totally non-metal, is a band called Tina We Went. They're uh, I feel like I've seen that name. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're they're actually pretty big, and um, so sometimes I go around listen to like you know different kind of world music stuff, not because I'm trying to be worthy, just trying to find weird rhythms are going to mess with my brain. <laughs> you know, like like you know you know non non Western rhythms. Yeah. Um. So you know I've I, I got obsessed with this with that Ukrainian band Daka Braka, uh, which will do weird things to your brain on so many different levels. But this is this is a band from Mali, it's in the desert area of Mali. Um, they're from a, a clan, the Turag clan, and they've been involved in wars. And you know, the, the lead singer, he's like, according to Wikipedia anyway. I didn't know this when I first started listening to them. That like, you know, he watched his dad being executed at the age of four. Jesus. It, it just it kind of puts you into a really weird frame of mind. It, it, um, so it's kind of desert, weird kind of desert rock. And they play guitars, and it feels like you're sitting around a campfire, um, and it feels like it's kind of. Um, happened organically, but it hasn't. It's really well thought out. There's all these kind of weird, crap, rocky rhythms in them, um, and it feels kind of weirdly laid back for the whole kind of um, for the background that they've had. But there's obviously that kind of emotion that they create that kind of allows all this history to circulate around it, and it's it, and it's re it's beautiful. It's earthy. It's really trippy at the same time, and again, th th that kind of repetition that I love. It's really in there, but just coming from a totally different place. And they are huge now. They played uh, The Earth and Hackney and that sold out um, loads of times. And then that sold out like really far in advance. And there's loads of people I know that are just like, have you heard you know this band too? I'm like, oh my God, I love this band too. Now we went. Um, and 
yeah, it there just connects connects really deeply. Awesome. Uh, uh, you know, it, even if even without the backs, even if you don't know the backstory of them, mm. that's cool. Um, my album, uh, non-metal album of the year, is uh, Psychodrama by Dave. Um, I mean, there's probably a good chance that people would have heard of this guy, really, because um, he's just blown up in such a crazy way this year. I'm pretty sure this album went to number one, in fact. Um, and he bagged. Um, did he win the Mercury? I feel like he did. If he didn't, he definitely should have, but I can't remember. But um, yeah, so uh, I think Psychodrama is amazing. Um, I, I dip in and out of grime. I'm not going to pretend I'm a massive fan of the scene. Most of my um, like reference points for it are kind of the more well-known artists. Um, and I don't even know if it's fair to call this a, a grime album, really, because a lot of it is at a very different pace and a very different tone to what a lot of grime offers. Um, but I just found this an absolutely fascinating record. Um, it's kind of a semi-conceptual album uh, that kind of follows um, the idea of Dave being in a therapy session. And so there's a lot of um, stuff to do with mental health in there. And in terms of male mental health, I found that one of the most kind of raw and uncompromising um kind of uh expressions of um mental health issues in young men that i've ever heard on an album um there's loads of other things in there as well that are kind of relevant to his life and and that a lot of people might resonate with there's things like domestic abuse in there there's a lot of stuff about his um older brothers uh um spending time in prison and his convictions and everything else um there's things to do with relationships um black identity working class identity um, there's loads of stuff in there. Um, there's a song on there, which is one is it? It's a name. Uh, yeah, Leslie. There's a song on there called Leslie. That's a domestic abuse um, uh, narrative. Uh, that's 11 minutes long, and um, you know, kind of the way I was, was talking about with Kate Tempest. Like, there's points where you, I don't really feel like I'm listening to a, a hip hop or a grime track with this with this album. It feels like you're actually listening to someone just vocalizing um, some of the stuff they've lived through and witnessed and and have been dealing with. Um, and so, yeah, again, I can't pretend this is a particularly edgy and an underground choice because he's he's very widely known now. Um, but yeah, I think it's a fucking phenomenal, phenomenal record. And um, he had a big flaming skull with him on stage at Glastonbury. So what's more metal than that? Hey, hey, mm -hmm. Alice, do you have a pick for a non-metal album? Well, this is I'm really... I'm interested to know this. Yeah, this is really, really hard because I basically haven't listened to anything that wouldn't be able to go in the magazine in some way, shape or form. Good, repping the brand. Um, so the only thing I could think of that I've listened to is drab majesty oh cool all right yeah tell us a bit about that um i don't think i've listened to the whole album either i've just listened to like three songs on repeat very, very 80s it's no, like you really yeah. haven't straight outside it's, the metal it's, bubble it's, it's, it's part of the whole kind of 80s revival isn't it yeah it's just like miserable 80s it's miserable 80s like electronica like yeah they could um he the guy behind the project sort of thing um, Deb Demure, or Andrew Plinko or something his actual name is, um, calls it Tragic Wave. So, uh, <laughs> nice. yeah, so yeah, it's, it's just really sounds like something dredged up from the 80s, just with lots of synths and shit. If that's and your vibe, go check that out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it basically cool. sounds like if, <laughs> like, like Enola Gay by um, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, but but depressed. It's got that sort of nasal, the very eighties nasally yeah, vocals. Yeah. I know a lot of black metal fans. Are, I I don't like the band, but I, I know I know loads of um, 
and I'm an 80s kid, uh, but I know loads of black metal fans who love Dread, Dread Majesty. Wow, fair, fair. Go check that out if that sounds like your thing. Um, L, what's been your gig of the year? My gig of the year has been Ramstein. Oh, nice. Why did I even ask? What a stupid question, sorry. Which is basically <laughs> my second ever best gig, probably. It was really good. It, it was, was by any account that anyone could ever give fucking amazing. I would really worry about anybody anywhere that could not think it was an incredible, incredible show. So first of all, the actual stage setup poked above the top of the stadium because it was so big and imposing and dystopian and weird. And then when the band were coming on, there was this black smoke that started issuing from the top of the weird dystopian sculpture and also these towers all around the stadium. So there was just this weird, horrible black toxic smog and it genuinely felt like mm, what mm, the mm. fuck is happening and you could taste it and smell it and it's probably very polluting but it was really <laughs> like it really set a creepy atmosphere that they could do that on that scale and the fact that they didn't they could have just come out in a massive explosion but instead they chose this weird creepy subtle black smoke thing and then did the explosions so i just thought it was really cool and it was great to hear some of the new songs and they had new stuff like in Puppa, they had a massive oversized pram that Till was pushing with a camera and oh, showing yeah. a baby. And it's God, all, I forgot about some of this stuff. It's all very about, you stupid, know. but like very entertaining as well. And they did the whole get in a dinghy and surf back thing. And fortuitously, I was standing right next to the smaller platform where they were leaving from. So I saw them stand in on the small platform and do a song and then sail off in the dinghies and I was right there when they were getting in them and I was a bit fangirl about it. I was like, they're getting in the dinghies, they're right there. Ah Sorry, cool. And then they obviously surfed back to the stage and did the rest of the show. And when they did bring the fire, there was fire everywhere. The whole stadium was on fire and you could just feel it on your face. And wherever you're standing in the stadium it looks amazing. I watched most of the gig from there, but towards the end I went out to the back of the stadium and just to have that kind of uh, distance view of it was still insane. Fan Loved it. Fantastic. Going to go see it next year in, a, where's that place? Coventry. Coventry. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so unbelievable show. Alice, gig of the year? Oh, God. <laughs> what did I write down? Um, Swallow the Sun at the Underworld. Oh, nice. Just because I love cool. them. And I was like right at the front like, oh, my God, I love this. Um, yeah, that's what I wrote down. So I'm going to go with it. I'll very briefly mention that last week as well as uh, your favourite kind of sub 1000 cap gig, <laughs> which was one of the very specific questions we got. <laughs> I wish I'd yes. been Yeah, I kind of wish I had as yeah, well because Ocean's Slumber supported and they're a fucking awesome band too. Yeah, yeah make was, that face, Alice. Cool. That last one of the Sun record yeah. was amazing. That was really high up in my album. Yeah, I mean, I thought about just talking about that more in here somewhere, but I think we talked about it quite a lot already, so... But if you haven't heard the Swallow the Sun record, oh my God, go and listen to it. Uh, my pick was uh, kind of predictable, but uh, Metallica doing SNM2 in San Francisco. Obviously, I appreciate not a lot of people get to see a show like that. Um, but even now, I still look at that back at the set list and it just, it just amazes me that a band that I've seen so many times and I really thought I knew inside out and I thought I'd seen all the ups and downs that they could possibly bring. It amazes me that a band like that still genuinely challenged me and genuinely left me walking away from a gig thinking I need to process this and think about what I've just seen. Um, I've watched the film back 
since um, I went to the show as well now, since I last talked about it. And it made me love it all even more. Um, the kind of classical songs they did um, uh, with the composer whose name's uh, Michael Tilson Thomas. They did the, cl the classical songs with him. That was amazing. Um, the version of The Unforgiving Three with James Hetfield on vocals solo. Um, the country-fied version of All Within My Hands. Um, Anesthesia filling teeth on the, um, on the, on the bass, the stand-up bass uh, the, the guy was playing solo just absolutely unfucking believable um, and finally got to see Outlaw Torn which is the best Metallica song I think I've ever seen live so that was my choice what was yours Jonathan your gig uh, of the year yeah well I had a, a tough one because there were quite a few like a lot of festival ones Anna von Hausdorff at Roadburn mm. um, just mind blowing just the amount of power that woman has in her voice for that um, it just takes you out of yourself Highland obviously uh, uh, mid gosh blur you know being in the being in the you know, in Maria's hometown. Yeah, that was the other one that I was thinking. Yeah, but actually, I'm going to go for the one that actually surprised me the most, which was Ministry. Uh, really? Yeah. Like, seriously. Follow me surprised. Yeah, yeah, Ministry at the uh, Shepherd's Bush Empire. Shake your head at me, Al. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was, they must it must have sucked for them because the minute they booked it, uh, that that day, Ramstein booked the same night mm. at Milton King's That's Bowl. weird. You two were both at your favourite gigs of the year at the same night. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, and I wasn't really expecting that much from from Ministry. I was I, at the time. I, I've seen them. I've seen them before. I, I thought. I thought they may be slightly a bit of a spent force. I saw them in the Psalm sixty nine days. And that was incredible. And I saw them again since. I was like, and I, and I saw them fairly recently. And it's it's fun, but it's it's more of a kind of like theatre and comedy and everything else like that. So I came not expecting much, and especially when they're going to play the new album, America, America Kaka. Um, which is, is an interesting album. It was very dispersed for them. Um, and But, you know, this time around, they stripped down the set. I mean, they had a video screen. Um, they didn't have all the, like, you know, Trump dolls on stage, and it wasn't like this kind of carnival. And it's like with Creative Filth, when they strip down their set and they get to the nub of it, you suddenly realise what an amazing band they are. Mm. And it was so... Everyone was so tight, and they just played through America... And even that was just amazing. Just like I don't even need the hits right now. Mm. I was just, just, just reminded me of everything I loved about that kind of late eighties, um, just totally uh, pneumatic, you know, early in, in industrial kind of feeling or mid period industrial feeling, and just everything I loved about Ministry. And it was just I was just like loving every second of it. And then they played all the hits from, um, you know, like Samsung Dino, like Just One Fix, NWO, and I just lost my fucking shit. I was just just in seventh heaven and just so on a pure just losing my shit, just getting in the groove, just loving every second of it. That was the one, and I was so on it like on paper that that would not have been the one. That's but awesome. um, it was just yeah, just just amazing. I think obviously it's vitally important to you know talk about new music and and stuff when it comes to the live experience, but it's also really um, empowering when you see a band and it reminds you of why you fell in love with them in the first place and and you know why it is important to still appreciate these artists while yeah. we still got them. And yeah Al Jorgensen was really was really sharp he, w he wasn't wearing sunglasses which I think also helped the, the level of communication eye contact always helps yeah yeah and um, it's just just you just it's just like you, I've seen so many music but this one you just tune the dial in and you've got a perfect signal it was just brilliant excellent yeah. uh, right we're in the home straight now ladies and gents uh, <laughs> Uh, the moment that defined heavy music in 2019. And you can interpret this however you want. It could be a silly moment, which you think, like, this just sums up what Mel's all about. Or it can be something kind of really era-defining. 
Well, I was sort of just going to go with tool, but then you said silly moment, and that made me just think clown hitting the big <laughs> thing a with a flaming baseball bat. What am I, what's the word I'm looking for? The barrel. barrel yeah. yeah. So he came. I was watching. This ben. Clip. <laughs> I was watching this clip again the other day, and he comes to the stage with the barrel and it's on fire, and then he kind of does this hand movement like it's a wank because it's clown, and then he goes over to the barrel and he just smashes it with a flaming baseball bat. Yeah, that was, was like, that was very, awesome. That's very slim. Not. You don't get that anywhere else, but in metal, <laughs> do you? I love the pictures that came out afterwards of him just standing up with the bat as well. It just looks really incendiary and cool, and like, yeah. And Clown's got that new mask that just looks sort of like this expressionless chrome thing. Mm. And yeah, you're just like, yeah, Slipknot, cool. Hooray, Jonathan. What moment? Um, on on a poignant note, okay. um, Slayer's last gig. Oh, oh. excellent answer. You know, just it just it feels like we're reaching, we're starting to reach an, an end of an era, um, and you know, we're, we're, we're you know all the things we're, we're we're starting to have to say goodbye to all some of our festival headline bands, uh, just yeah, just a big moment for everyone, and um, you know, it's such an important band on so many different levels for so many people, um, and just we're, we're gonna have to like, I don't think it's really hit anyone yet. But we'll, we'll come around next year. We're just like, oh, yeah, Slayer, they're not, that, that's it. Yeah, they're not here anymore. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a fine answer. Yeah, I think, and maybe another one is, maybe because I keep banging on about it, but it's such a big thing, just hiring at, at Roundhouse. Mm. You know, like, second ever, like, who plays a Roundhouse on their second ever UK gig? Mm. Um, I was uh, I was there for Sun the weekend beforehand, the week beforehand. It was, it was way busier for um, Highland. So just, I, I just, I keep, the reason I keep going on about it because I don't know any other band who hits such a nerve across so many different different fields, and I think none of us can underestimate how big that band is going to be. Um, I'm sure if I'd seen Rodruna at Red Rock, uh, that would have been like oh man, as that's well a big too. ambition of mine to see a gig at Red Rock. I really yeah. want to go to looks Red unbelievable. Rock. It just looks like oh. yeah, but Rodruna playing there would have been oh my god, that would have been so amazing. They played there a few months ago and oh, re- quite recently actually. I'd love to have been to that, but um, but yeah, just the Highland thing. It's just there's nothing. I haven't seen anything blow up quite so big, and and you know. And it's, it doesn't feel like a, a trend or a hype thing because no one, no one else has really given them much press apart from us. Nope. You know we're the only. We're U- the best. Yeah, we're the only UK. <laughs> we're the only UK mag that's ever written about them, and I don't know, I don't know why no one else has, but because um, they're not as good as us. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we're yeah. the best in the world. But but <laughs> but they but I've never seen a band that trigger something in you like quite like that. Yeah. Fair, very no, fair. No, I'm just googling what I can go and see at Red Rock next year. Well, I really wanted to see. We were just talking about non-metal um, bands. I'm a massive Dead Mouse fan, and he played Red Rocks this year. And I was like, "That's my non-metal dream." <laughs> um, so the moment to, to find heavy music this year for me, it's a bit of a nebulous one because um, I, I kind of Slipknot getting a number one album on both sides of the Atlantic. I think was fucking awesome, and it was such a huge moment. And the set, the kind of celebratory feel that came off the back of that was brilliant. But it did also make me think this doesn't happen enough. And um, it made me also think, you know, we're all getting the number one album as well. Like, I wish we were able to kind of produce and um, just have a situation where more modern bands were really breaking into the mainstream in the way that the bigger um, and older metal artists still can. Um, you know, I still think that metal is far too 
uh, noticeable by its absence in like big awards lists and um, TV shows and radio play and all this kind of stuff. And what is a really big deal to us um, is still maybe not kind of feeling like it could be, it still feels like it could be a bigger deal on a mainstream level. I look at someone like Ghost, who are unquestionably the breakout band of the moment. Um, and I still feel like we're waiting for them to kind of be noticed by people outside of the metal world. Like when everyone in my school year in um, New Duality, like everyone knew that song, whether they liked it or not. It was just one of those songs that people just knew because it was so big. And I really want to see more bands do that. So I think there's still work to be done in there. But I also do think, as I mentioned earlier, seeing Venom Prison play to an initially quite empty but then slowly filling field of people at Glastonbury and seeing people genuinely not knowing what the fuck they were looking at but then seeing them clearly be won over, bowled over by it and start to really engage with it made me kind of think you know the potential is absolutely still there and if we can find ways to continue supporting and pushing these young artists um, I think the potential is absolutely still there for them to make an impact outside of the metal world so there well, we'll see. We we'll didn't do see. our predictions for 2020, but oh. Jonathan just predicted Highland getting bigger. Highland getting bigger. Well, I think I think they're going to be in Minecraft. They've got something with the video game, I think. That's what's probably what it's based on. Yeah. Interesting. It may actually be um, avatars in a video game. Mm. And Vodruna, and you know, on the Vikings TV series along with Vodruna. Vodruna, I think I've heard they may be scoring some kind of computer game as well too. Yeah. Prediction for 2020. I predict Notfest is going to be awesome. <laughs> that is a good one. I predict that August is going to drive me absolutely round the bend because that's, <laughs> that's now the fifth festival in, in a month. That um, Yeah, when I saw we that, have I have to thought, cover it. Oh, I predict that I'll need a huge this. bottle of sun cream to go to all the festivals <laughs> and not burn. I predict that um, Code Orange will do something really antagonistic that will probably wind people up with their so. album and will make people go, I can't believe they've done this. And that's what they'll do. I've heard so. absolutely nothing of it. I don't even know when it's coming out, but I predict they do something that will just be like, not what we're expecting. And I hope so too, El. <laughs> I hope so too. Um, what else could happen next year? I don't know. Hopefully Gajira will be back. That'd yeah. be nice. Like to um, see Lamb of God as well. Lamb of God being back. You know what? I predict actually, and again, this is not based on anything. I predict Lamb of God are going to come back with a fucking good new album because I feel like it's time for them to come out with something that reminds everybody why they are Lamb of fucking God. They've um, had a slight already. member lineup change and I feel like those little tiny tweaks in the machine can often produce great results and I'm hoping that'll be the case with them. I already feel really excited just thinking about that. Ah! Uh, Let's think, bring it. And I think everyone's going to go more goth, which will make you happy. Yes! There's, there's so much There's so much goth in the metal scene at the moment. Like it, like from goth to post-punk, um, it's, getting bit, it's, it's getting more and more widespread. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, 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 I am very happy with this development. Bring on the goth <laughs> revolution. Yeah, because we're, we're all kind of 80s kids, but it's, it's yeah, that kind of goth post-punk spinny Bauhaus-y thing. Uh, I'm, I'm all up for more of that in the metal scene. Oh, and also I predict that um, the final ending of Bojack Horseman is going to break my heart. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Bojack I just think Horseman. it is. It's what it does. Oh. I, I, I'm now, I'm, I'm, there's, there's two seasons that I'm, I'm just close to the oh. end now. Oh. What Final episode of Watchmen and the final episode of... Um, uh, M Mr. Robot there's such puzzle box narratives but um, I get all the feels from Mr. Robot especially saw the recent episodes and I think that's going to I, I, you know, Badger Horseman's going to break my heart oh, and I'm just 
I've got one more episode for Watchmen and like a couple more, few more episodes for um, Mr. Robot. I'm going to be so bereft by the end of all of those. I also predict, hopefully, that Liverpool are going to bottle this Premier League. <laughs> no way. No, we can't. It's a hopeful prediction, but I'm sticking to it. That is it for the 2019 end of year special. It's been a hell of a year. Thank you so much to everyone that supported Mel Hammer through this year. Uh, we won the Magazine of the Year Award, of course, at the Future Awards. It means so much to be able to stand up there and, and you know, know that people are appreciating what we do. We certainly appreciate you all back. Um, and we're going to be hitting the ground running with a badass cover. Or will that be covers at the start of January? <laughs> it's going to be awesome. And uh, yeah, we promise we will continue to bring you the very biggest and best in the world of heavy metal. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful Christmas. And we'll see you in 2020. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye.